the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. Lord, 
Don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part. It won't be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've always had a fascination with idioms, those unusual phrases that crop up in every language. In Sweden, when you point out someone who slid in on a shrimp sandwich, you're commenting on a person who didn't have to work to get where they are. Or in Poland, you might turn to someone offering their opinion and scornfully ask, did you fall from a Christmas tree? Which implies you are not well informed, and it shows. <laughs> or in Germany, someone might tell you that you have tomatoes on your eyes, which implies that you can't see what is obvious to everyone else. We have a phrase like that in English. They can't see the forest for the trees. I never understood that as a child. But as an adult, I've met a few people who get bogged down in the little things, so much so that they miss the big picture. In our reading from Luke, Martha appears to be that person so focused on details that she can't see what Mary sees. <clears throat> that Jesus' message about the kingdom is compelling enough to set aside business as usual and simply listen. What? Martha, you have tomatoes on your eyes? You are too preoccupied, too worried about getting everything ready for the meal. Or is it too distracted by many tasks as our pew Bibles read? What on the surface seems like a mundane activity, preparing a meal, means a lot more. Okay, brace yourself. We're going to dip into Greek, the original language of the story. Is everyone strapped in? What Martha is so preoccupied with is diakonia. Say that with me. Diakonia. Y'all are naturals. It's the word that the New Testament uses for ministry. Now, diakonia definitely has its roots at the dinner table. The apostles appointed seven people in the book of Acts to be deacons, people who practice diakonia, who were responsible for distributing food. But those same apostles who set apart table-serving ministers did so so that they, Peter, James, John, and the rest, could focus on the serving, the diakonia of the word. Jesus himself said that he has not come to be served, as at the dinner table, but to serve, 
to be a diakonos, to be a waiter. If diakonia means ministry or servant leadership for men, then it definitely has the same meaning for women, like Martha, who, by the way, owns her own house and may well be a woman of considerable means. She reminds me of the woman of valor described in Proverbs 31. Here's just a taste. She surveys a field and acquires it from her own resources. She plants a vineyard. She works energetically. Her arms are powerful. She realizes that her trading is successful. She doesn't put out her lamp at night. She reaches out to the needy. She stretches out her hand to the poor. She doesn't fear for her household when it snows because they are all dressed in warm clothes. Strength and honor are her clothing. She is confident about the future. Her mouth is full of wisdom. Kindly teaching is on her tongue. She is vigilant over the activities of her household. She doesn't eat the food of laziness. As Abraham and Sarah did when three strangers, three angels, appeared in their midst, Martha recognizes the prime importance of hospitality. And as Abraham and Sarah do, she oversees the ministry of caring for the stranger in her midst. She engages in diakonia. We here recognize the diversity of diakonia in our communities. Every lunch we serve with the office of the aging, well, that's ministry, that's diakonia. Every card we send, every visit we make, diakonia. Every time we open our space to the community, diakonia. When musicians draw us closer to God, or when liturgists read the scriptures, or when whoever stands in this pulpit faithfully brings the word into conversation with daily life, all of that is diakonia. Diakonia is ministry, and ministry is all of these good things. And who has never been preoccupied with a good thing before? Uh, that preoccupation, that worry, it can take so many forms. It can look like the parent who wants to make sure that their kids have the best childhood possible, or get into the best programs, both of which are good things. But then, now their lives are a hectic game of catch-up with a dozen different schedules. It can look like any of us who want to put on a great event or succeed with a special project. Again, both good things. But then we fixate on the goal of perfection, so much so that we psych ourselves out and spiral into panic. We all care about the upkeep of our cemetery, which is a ministry we provide to our neighbors. But we get stuck 
don't we, when our expectations go unfulfilled? For myself, I sometimes wish I wasn't learning property management on the job. But it is what it is, another facet of the diakonia that we carry out for the sake of God's kingdom. And so what do we do? We shift our focus from what if to what is, as in what is right in front of us. Right in front of us, right in front of Martha, is not a what, but a who. Jesus. One thing is necessary, and it is unfolding before our eyes, whether we recognize it or not. It is the message of the kingdom. It is the word of grace. If we are distracted by diakonia, ministry will be miserable. Amen? Amen. If in our various ministries we forget that God so loved the world, not loved in general, but loved and still loves, every creature loves you and me, so much so that God would risk cross and grave to show us. If we forget that, then folks, we're going to burn out. Roberta Bondi remembers coming of age in the 60s and exchanging the fundamentalism of her childhood for a socially conscious Christianity. Instead of the second coming that Brother Smith preached at church revivals, she embraced a vision of the kingdom that looked like racial equality and eliminating hunger, both good things. But even though this vision of justice echoed through the Bible and spoke to the deepest longings of her heart, Bondi felt an emptiness creep in. What about this kingdom was good news, exactly? It just felt like more work, work that could never fully be done. Worst of all, she recalled, this exclusively justice-oriented God we served was not benevolent. Indeed, he was a God as demanding, scornful, perfectionistic, and angry as any God I had ever encountered at Pond Fork Baptist Church. This God did not inspire us by love, but rather by another version of the same old fear and guilt I had grown up with. Bonnie eventually came to realize what any of the saints through history had known, that servanthood in the way of Jesus flows from Jesus himself, from the love that he already has for us, the love that he offers us, a love that grows like a tiny mustard seed, a love that lifts us up as yeast makes bread fill lives. We have work to do in Jesus' name. That's true. But if we pursue that work without pausing to listen to the message of grace, then we put the cart before the horse. Consider the words of Gus Speth, an environmental scientist, 
and co-founder of the National Resources Defense Council, Seth said this, I used to think that the top environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought that 30 years of good science could address these problems. I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with these, we need a cultural and spiritual transformation. And we scientists don't know how to do that. Scientists have a ministry. There's no doubt about that. God calls each of us to servanthood. That as we engage in that servant work, that ministry, that diakonia, we get lost without the message of grace. And so first and foremost, we sit at the teacher's feet. We can't stay there all day. We get up, as I imagine Mary eventually did, to live out God's love in the world. But we can't stay up all the time either, like machines. Eventually, as I imagine Martha did, we'll sit down again to remember who we are, beloved children of God, embraced by Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. Friends, you are God's beloved listening to the message of grace and growing to trust in it is the one necessary thing to keep our eyes on the big picture, to keep our feet on the path of ministry instead of getting lost. This wisdom echoes in the words of a Catholic bishop. We plant seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces effects beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. It enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning a step along the way, an opportunity for God's grace to enter and to do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders. We are ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future not our own. We are ministers, all of us invited by the Messiah to live in the kingdom. For this grace, let us give all glory and gratitude to the one in three, the three in one, God most mighty, most merciful, most wise. Amen.